Thanks for tuning in to the CHCA Entrepreneurial Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Carter. And here at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, we have a state-of-the-art entrepreneurship and sustainability program with over five student-run businesses, 12 elective courses, and a capstone project to finish our certificate track. We truly are training students in the entrepreneurial mindset. Today, we have a fantastic conversation for you. Thanks to our guest, Cheryl Ann Skolnicki. Cheryl Ann walks through what it means to have a balanced life and how connecting that concept of balance to the overall feeling of fulfillment is key to truly experiencing success. She covers everything from optimizing your time to getting enough sleep to understanding how to move through your day and how to navigate the cultural demands. And all in all, it's a fantastic conversation. No matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your station in life, this is an episode to truly sink into and get some amazing content. Joining me today is Cheryl Ann Skolnicki, and Cheryl Ann is the founder of Brilliant Balance. Cheryl Ann, thanks so much for joining me. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? What, what, what's this business of yours and, and how does all of that work? Sure. So I run an organization called Brilliant Balance. We are primarily focused on supporting women at the intersection of their ambitions professionally and the demands on their lives as um, members of a family, which is a, you know, people, I would say colloquially would call this work-life balance. We have a pretty broad definition of that, that I'm sure we'll get into today. Uh, I've been doing this for now about 12 years. So I had a a corporate chapter in my life prior to the entrepreneurial chapter. And uh, I'm married and have three school-aged children. Now, just looking at your website, brilliantbalance.com, there are these three things that jump out immediately. And and I love all of these and, and where you're going with this. But you start by saying, get energized, be productive, feel fulfilled. And I'm curious, why those three ideas at the center of your work? Great question. So I think those three were arrived at after about the first five or six years of working um, in our client community. And the themes that kept coming out in terms of what was really causing pain, causing suffering for women, um, largely women who were working and raising children at the same time in terms of my audience, were one of those three things, right? The first challenge would be, I am so tired all the time. I mean, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, right? I'm just so exhausted. And sort of the view of life as drudgery, you know, can I just make it through the day? Um, it's so far from thriving. I mean, really kind of in that survival mode with, with like a low joy factor associated with it. So to me, that piece of the puzzle is sort of table stakes. If we don't get that sorted out, we can't advance to the next level of like progress. 
second piece of the puzzle, second thing people would say is I have too much to do and not enough time to do it, right? I'm so busy all the time. It's like the the midlife lament is how busy we are. And so, um, and as I now have teenagers and I have my parents who are both, you know, living nearby, like we're all busy. It's a sort of a multi-generational challenge. And so productivity to me is not something that we want to maximize. It's something we want to optimize. And so this notion of productivity is how do we really align our time with our priorities so that our life is moving I would call it up and to the right. You know, that curve that we all love in business where things are progressing. If we want our life to be doing that, then our time has to be used in service to it. And then once those two things are sorted and we are feeling more energized and our time is in rhythm, then it's like, why does it matter? What are we doing all of this for? And ultimately, I cross paths with a lot of people who would be deemed successful by any societal standard, but they don't always feel fulfilled. You know, there's this sense of, does it matter? Am I really doing something that's making a difference? Am I being of service with this one life that I've got? And so that, that sort of pinnacle is really where purpose intersects with the rest of it. And I think we often want to start there. We want to talk about purpose. It's very hot to talk about purpose, but if we don't get these other pieces in place, like we are never going to get there because we're too busy just trying to go through the motions of a life that might be sort of misdesigned. You are describing so many fantastic concepts here in, in such a succinct, uh, clear manner. I, I love it, first of all. And I want to share, you know, for the listeners of this podcast, part of what we're doing at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy is educating students on the entrepreneurial mindset. And we just spent some time recently with our students going through the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. And we spent a sure. lot of time talking about first things first, and begin with the end in mind. And as you were describing this idea of be productive, that's the exact language you were using. You said optimize, not maximize, right? Because we're not looking just to do as much as possible. We're looking at the priority piece of that. Could you explain a little bit more how understanding your priorities plays such a key role in being productive or feeling productive? Yes. I mean, I think the thing we're really bad at culturally is making choices. So if I look at everything from, um, you know, children to teens, to college students, to adults, what we have is a bias towards saying yes to everything, right? We're so afraid we're going to let somebody down. We're so afraid we're going to miss an opportunity. The whole FOMO culture, especially for young people is really robbing us of the skill of knowing how to make a decision or make a choice. And so optimizing productivity to me, what's underneath it is having clarity about which activities are really in service to who we want to be, who we are becoming, what is the work we want to do in the world and being able to say yes to those with a recognition that the one resource we have that's truly finite is time. And so if we don't learn to make choices about our time, we run out of it and it it gets wasted on things that we're not super proud of, right? That are not moving our lives in the direction that we want them to go. So optimizing to me is really clear-minded recognition of the reality of time limits. I talk a lot about sleep. I hope we'll get into that today. You know, it, there's a natural limit to the day when we anchor in and say sleep matters. And then when we look at our waking hours, it's, it's a choice model around 
where will we invest the hours of our time in ways that, again, sort of help us make a contribution to the world, but also that are restorative to us personally. So I'm not someone who says, I have to work every hour that I'm awake. You know, I think I went through a phase of that and had to learn my way out of it. But really, it's equally valuable to spend time on things that are restorative to us or that build community and connection as it is to do things that are maybe more traditionally productive. Now, I love how early on you talked about this is a multi-generational, this reaches all people when it comes to balance. And although you really do focus, it sounds, on uh, you know maybe career women who have uh, personal and professional lives and might feel all these different yeah. things. Uh, many of our listeners are, of course, students, both high school and college yes. age students. And I, I think you touched on this already, but I think this is such a key issue for them is understanding mm. the finite nature of time. But one question I would throw mm. your way, you know, if you're dealing with an adult professional, often there's sure. this conception that he or she may have an easier time making those decisions and choices and saying no, feeling the permission to do so versus a student who might feel the pressure of saying, I need to be in this extracurricular, in this activity, in this sport, I have to get these grades. How might a student navigate those kind of choices when it comes to time? Yes. Well, it's such a good question. And again, I am living this as a parent, and I think it is a bit of a countercultural model that I am trying to work with my own children. Because I would say our cultural narrative is do it all right? Do all the things. And typically because it will, and I'm using air quotes here, look good to colleges, right? We're so focused on what does a college admissions officer want to see? And there's this fear that if I don't do everything and I don't have this long laundry list of involvements that I will not be accepted into the college of my choice. So that starts so early with our kids, you know, it starts with youth sports. It moves on to, um, all of the extracurricular activities and look, they're super excited, right? All of those opportunities can be really fun until they're not, right? Until that kid is up at 1 a.m. trying to finish the paper because they had practice or rehearsal and all of those things got stacked on top of each other, right? So we're, I think, teaching that model of choices earlier as parents, as educators, really helps them curate a collection of activities that are personally fulfilling to them. So my view is there's an exploratory phase, right? There's a period of time when you're a younger child where you should try all the things one at a time, you know, maybe, right. Really being judicious about what does an, a week look like, but season to season exploring activities before we narrow in on things where we really want to invest a lot of time. And by the time we're having practices every day and rehearsals every day, the skill I want my kids to learn, and I would want the, the, you know, the teens listening to learn is that ultimately the only person who knows when you're overloaded is you. Like even mom and dad don't always know when you're fully overloaded. Your teachers certainly don't have visibility to everything you're taking on. And one day your boss doesn't know. So that two-way dialogue of being able to really assess, am I getting enough rest? Am I getting enough recovery? Does this feel good, right? Am I enjoying myself? Is there a lightness to my energy while I'm pursuing these activities is a barometer to help make choices. When it becomes drudgery, you know, when it becomes I'm dragging myself through this next activity and I don't like it and I'm not getting a lot out of it. That's where we're, we're teaching like the absence of fulfillment, 
right? The, the governing model becomes push through, do it anyhow, even though it's unfulfilling. So I would rather see a well-curated, smaller collection of activities that really bring that particular child um, enjoyment than a long laundry list of things that were just done to check a box. And your use of the phrase uh, exploratory, you were describing kind of the young mm -hmm. child, go out and, and do, yeah. find out what mm -hmm. is fulfilling to you. I think that's so key. And on some level, I think it's also unfortunate that some of our students don't get that phase. They're kind of thrown into expectations. They're thrown into, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. Yeah. And yes. if they take a step back, they might say, I don't like this. I, I don't right. care for this sport, but I'm doing it because I've done it since I was three and I have to kind of keep going. And I, I yeah. think what you're, or what my you're, older sibling did it, you know, or my right. parent did. It. So there's this kind of legacy of yeah involvement. Exactly. And so yeah. I love how you bring in that concept of fulfillment. It's not just be productive. It's does this add value to my life? Asking that question is really going to help us make some of these decisions. And I, I think it's, it's, it's so great that you're putting these concepts together and then leading it to this idea of purpose. I think, I think you're absolutely right. A lot of people start with that and they're like, here's, here's my purpose. Here's my purpose. But then they spend all day organizing files and you know doing these things that don't really connect to that. Mm -hmm. So could you explain a little bit more how you make this concept of purpose, how you work with people in creating yes. and understanding a purpose and then linking it to these other ideas? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really good question. And I think it's so important for um, the students who are listening to really like hear this idea because our culture again has a narrative of like capital P purpose, right? What's the meaning of my life? What am I here to do? And candidly, that is an overwhelming question for most adults. Surely it is an overwhelming question for teenagers. So I like to think about lowercase p purpose, like bring the whole concept in to what is the thrust of this season? What am I all about right now? What am I kind of um, chasing or focusing on in this particular season? And a season is personally defined. So a season may be um, high school. You know, you could look at all of high school. A season might be this fall. You know, what am I really focusing on this fall? A season might be, um, as a parent, as I think about this, it might be the years that my kids are at home might be a season right? Or the years that my children are in a particular set of grades. So that, that notion of purpose is helpful because it allows us to not get overwhelmed by making the one and only right choice that we can never change, right? Think about how often it's paralyzing to say, what if I don't know? I have a daughter who's um, a senior and getting ready to, or is applying to colleges. And that concept of I'm supposed to know, what I'm going to do with my whole life so that I can pick the right major and apply to the right school is paralyzing to that whole, you know, her whole peer group. What I can see from this vantage point is I had no idea, right? The work I'm doing right now, which I love, and I would say is very aligned with my purpose, didn't even exist when I was going to college, right? We did, we, I didn't have email in college. I didn't have Zoom calls, right? When I was making these choices. So I couldn't even have done this work from the vantage point of being a senior in high school looking forward. So lowercase p purpose gives us a chance to say, what am I really about right now, right? Maybe I'm really about music. Maybe I'm really about um, being of service to a particular community. Maybe I'm really about my church. Maybe I'm really about um, 
a younger sibling. Like, and it, that creates a focal point for what we say yes and what we say no to. Right. So it's like the divining rod. It's a, a bit of a decision framework on where our time is going to go. Otherwise, everything is equally viable. And we don't, we can't really make good choices about yes to this and no to that. Right. I want to, I want to talk a little bit here about yes and no, um, because I think we have this addiction to saying yes to everything. And what often gets missed in that is that every single thing we do say yes to is like by definition, a no to something else. So if you think about it, if time is finite and I say, yes, I will go to that football game this Friday, right? I'm saying no to spending that Friday evening, you know, watching a movie or hanging out with my family. If I say yes to the sleepover, right? What am I saying no to on the other side? That carries through in our entire lives. Every time we say yes, there's an associated no. And the no is often silent. We're not even thinking about what we're saying no to when we say yes. So these choices get made by default instead of with intention. Um, And what I'm suggesting when we talk about linking it to purpose is it gives us a model to make those yes and no choices with intention. For the listeners, I I just want to highlight that this is so intensely important. And you're absolutely right that our, our culture is a yes culture. Say yes, say yes, say yes. We don't think about the fact that that's actually saying no. Yeah, you're saying yes, but look at all the things you're saying no to. And, you know, these might even be things that are more connected to your fulfillment or your purpose. You know, so often people say, oh, my family is the most important. My family is the most important. Well, they spend so little time with their family because they're saying yes to everything else. And I think oh, this right. is such a key concept you've brought up and I absolutely love it. Awesome. One of the, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, um, and, and I do want to come back to this because I, I think it, again, it's so important, especially with balance is this mm-hmm. idea of sleep. And I, I've had this mm-hmm. conversation with students over the years. You need more sleep, you need more sleep. And, and there's almost this badge of honor with how yes. little sleep you can get. I remember this, uh, this James Franco interview that a bunch of students had watched. And I mean, he looked like he was about to fall asleep in the interview. And he said that to him, <laughs> sleep is a sign of defeat. Like when he finally goes to sleep, it's mm-hmm. like, I'm just, I'm giving I up and, and I want to wake back mm-hmm. up to do my work. And I remember watching that thinking, no, <laughs> you need your sleep. <laughs> so, so could you tell us how right. you, how you work in that concept with this idea of balance? Yes. Well, I think it's, it's really interesting. I think my mom was ahead of her time. Um, my mom really drilled into me when I was growing up that sleep was important. And the way she really framed it was, I don't want you to stay up all night studying, right? I was a very good student. I cared a lot about school and, you know, had a little bit of that workaholic tendency even early on. And I think she saw that and she just, that just became a rule for me, right? Like, and she said, sleep helps you lock concepts you've learned into your long-term memory. So she essentially gave me a why for sleep. And by the way, she's right about this. The science checks out that when you are trying to memorize or learn a concept and you're studying, let's say until late at night, if you continue to study all the way through the night or right. And, or only get that couple of hours of sleep, your brain never moves that material into long-term memory. So by saying that to me, she connected it to something I cared about, which was my grades. And I was like, all right, it's worth trying. And I, I will tell you, I went through all of college, all of grad school, never pulled an all-nighter because this was so like front and center in my mind. However, I really 
wanted to be very productive. So I had this natural bias for wanting, I know I was like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I have too much to do. I'm, you know, super multi-passionate about life. And so early in my career, especially I robbed myself of sleep, right? I would stay up late, um, get up early, work out, kind of repeat the whole cycle. And what I didn't realize was that I was lowering the quality of my energy during my waking hours. Like you don't know until you know, right? A fish doesn't know it's in water because it's just always in water. So if you've never had enough sleep, you don't really know that you're running on fumes and you don't really clock all of the impacts that it has physically, right? As well as emotionally and sort of that mental acuity, that crispness that we need to think well. So now super passionate about sleep. I regularly get eight hours. And again, as a person at midlife with three children and a company that I run, that's pretty unusual. And those eight hours, I wake up like ready to go, right? It fuels me to have, um, I don't have mental fog. I'm able to think clearly. My processing speed is pretty fast. I have a positive affect and energy. And like that vibe is what we want to bring into our day. So, you know, again, whether you're in high school, whether you're in college, whether you're an adult, we all want to have a quality of energy throughout our day that we can sustain. Okay. And, and the arc that I teach in to my clients is when we just agree that sleep is non-negotiable, let's say eight hours, now we're optimizing a 16 hour day. So optimize it, right? Just acknowledge that instead of an 18 hour day or a 20 hour day, I'm going to make better choices because I'm acknowledging that really um, optimizing those 16 is better than sub-optimizing 18 or 20, if that makes sense. It does. Absolutely. And it sounds like it connects a lot to what you were saying about yes and no, because when you're saying yes to getting this amount of sleep, that requires that you say no to other things like the all-nighters, like some of the sleepovers, which is hard to do. Yes. Or the Netflix or the TikTok or, right. I mean, I think I'm, I'm super aware of how tempting it is to just click next, right. On any of those videos. It's we, we really are in the middle of an experiment on how are we going to put some controls and take controls back. Um, so, and I think it's particularly difficult for the generation that is in school right now. Like they're fighting a harder battle candidly than I was growing up because I didn't have access to on-demand entertainment. So, the, you know, it's, it's going to take some serious choices about running the experiment. So this is where it intersects with entrepreneurial thinking, right? Because entrepreneurs are great at running experiments and saying, did that work? Did it not? Do I like my result better with an A test or a B test? So I think we can look at our time the same way. And again, it's what I do with my clients run the test. You think you're doing great on four hours of sleep, get eight, see what happens. You're going to find out you're unstoppable. So then that becomes, um, easier to repeat because we have both the cause and the effect. We're not just wondering or hypothesizing about how would I feel if I got eight hours? We know. And it's so good that I think it gives us, um, an incentive to continue to do that. Absolutely. I mean, this, I, I just have to say that this, this content is so great and you're absolutely right that it applies to everybody, whether we are a student in high school, whether a student in college, whether we are uh, managing a home and a business, this is across the board universally, something that we need more of in a culture that's telling us to go, 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 and that it's failure to stop and rest um, in so many yes. ways. So 
Absolutely. Now, wh- one of the things that I did want to steer our conversation toward is your business. You mentioned early on lives at that intersection between where a professional life would, you know, would take somebody, but then also the demands of a personal life. And it sounds like you really do focus this on women, especially because, you know, even though culture is shifting and changing, there does still seem to be that, that cultural pressure on many women to maintain aspects of a household or do certain traditional things while still maintaining this career. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about that intersection, uh, maybe how you work with clients on that, and then just maybe how you would advise the next generation to avoid some of those missteps. Yes. So this is really the reason my business is focused on um, this particular audience is because I think it's the torture test, right? It's the, the pain is often the highest here because the cultural expectations, right? The historical narrative is that women will be excellent tenders of their homes, excellent mothers, right? And wives and that now like new narrative, my generation is we will also be successful in the professional marketplace. So that got translated to us growing up as you can have it all, right? You can be anything you want to be. And I think what we missed the memo on was that having it all wasn't supposed to mean doing it all. In other words, there's a task list that comes with these opportunities. You want to have a job? Here's all the stuff you're going to be doing in order to fulfill that job. You want to have a house? Here's all the stuff you're doing to take care of that home, like the the bricks and sticks of the home, right? You want to have a husband or a chil- children? These are all the responsibilities that come with that. And that sort of um, workload, if you add it all up, never was really designed to go to like one person. We were coming out of a model where it was split, right? Dad went to work and mom stayed home and, and the things kind of ran because we each had one job. Now we're all trying to share both of them, right? My husband works full-time, I work full-time, and we have a household and three children that we're splitting those responsibilities in. But in order to do that, we didn't get like the playbook, There was no guidebook saying, here's how you do it. We looked at what our parents did. In some cases, we're like, I liked that. In other cases, we're like, definitely not going to repeat that, you know, part of the model. My kids will do the same, right? They'll evolve. But we're all, I think, as a generation of adults right now trying to figure this out. And so my counsel to the women I coach as well as to students is that we get to decide how we're going to do these various roles that we take on. There there really isn't a rule for what it is to be a good dad, a good mom, a good, you know, vice president of a company, a good entrepreneur, but we can assume that there are those unwritten rules of how to do these jobs govern the guilt that comes if we try to do it a little bit differently. And I'll give you an example. You know, my mom never had a housekeeper, right? Growing up, it's like she cleaned her own house and she had a lot of pride in that. She grew up on a farm. Um, She was, you know, one of several children. She had one child, me, and she did a lot of things on her own. So my narrative was, well, if you can do it yourself, you should, right? If you can save the money and do that yourself, then that's what you should do. Well, my life looks totally different 
right? I have a totally different career. I have three children, not one. I'm living at the pace of life in 2022, not life in the era that she was growing up. So for me to live by that rule kind of creates a system where um, it doesn't work anymore, right? The rules that were right in that era or that, that made sense in that era don't make sense in this era. And I think we, the, the practice of consistently rewriting them in a way that's right for our family in a way that's right for our household is the only way through. So when I talk to women about um, how they're going to create space to pursue the professional ambition that they have, the time has to come from somewhere, right? The net effect has to be, if I'm going to create space for that, there has to be something I'm not doing. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So in those rules, if we say, well, you know, I should clean my own house. I have a housekeeper who comes twice a month and does kind of the big cleaning, but that doesn't mean I don't clean every day, right? To put the dishes away and make sure the kitchen's tidied up and the beds are made. Like there's a middle ground of how we nuance these activities. Okay. Professionally, it might affect the way we work. I love that right now I'm working from home. So that gives me flexibility in the way I structure my workday so that I can drive my kids to school or pick them up or take them to a practice. And I can still have um, the fluidity to move in and out of my workday. So in other words, the answer is often in the nuance. It's not the broad brushstrokes of should I work or not? Should I get married or not? Should I have a family or not? It's more how am I going to execute the pieces I've chosen in a way that honors my own limits. I think that's fantastic because it goes back to what you've been saying all along. There's this great concept of the choices. yes and the no, right? Choices. You have to make those choices. And if you adhere yourself to a model that is not fair to you or to your family, you're out of balance. And that creates the whole problem that you are ultimately trying to work with people on. So I, I think it's, it's wonderful how you've brought that whole narrative together. And, and honestly, there's only three ways to make these choices and get time. Back. I mean, I've, we, I've looked at this every way to Sunday. So seriously, three ways they, they spell out SOS. So it's pretty easy to remember. You can stop doing it altogether. You can offload it to someone else, like delegate it or outsource it, or you can simplify the way you do it. That's it. One of those three ways is going to get you time back in your day. So if you look at stop, like I don't watch TV. That's something that is very, very rare for me to do. I just decided it doesn't really fit into my life. So occasionally I'll sit down and watch something, but I don't have a regular habit of like watching shows. Okay. And my team loves to make fun of me about this all the time, right? <laughs> I never know what's going on. Um, offloading is like, someone else can do it. I have a team as an entrepreneur. I don't try to do everything on my own. And at home, I'm willing to use outsourcing or ask my kids, ask my husband, ask my parents to participate in the activities that need to be done. And then simplify is magical. I mean, there are so many ways to do things more efficiently using batch processing, using the technology that's available to us, such that tasks that might take someone else an hour might take me 15 minutes. Mm. And the more of those that you add up, you're kind of scraping time back that can be repurposed. So that SOS is all about choices. It's all about figuring out where am I going to actually invest my time to the best of my ability? Where am I not going to do it at all? Where am I going to let someone else do it? And where might I just have to do like not my very best work, but it's good enough. Mm. It's good enough to get this particular task done or get this meal on the table or whatever it is. Right. And you know, what gets in our way, 
those unwritten rules. Like that, there's kind of a duh factor. Like, okay, I get it. Stop, offload, simplify. I could figure that out, but then there's the emotion, right? Where the emotional um, implications of, well, who would I be if I delegated that to someone else? What if they don't like me, right? What if they think that I can't handle my job? You know, who, what would I be if I just didn't say yes to that invitation? Maybe they would be mad that I didn't go. And so that's where the, for me and my job, the hard work of coaching begins, which is once you've kind of examined the available choices, how do you get the courage to make them? And that's the game changer. And I imagine, I I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Do you find that that particularly is more difficult for women than men in our society? And if so, uh, you know, why is that? How does that work? Stereotypically? Yes. Right. There's an exception to every rule. Um, I think feminine energy is aligned with this. So if you think about masculine and feminine energy, right. Stereotypically men are going to exhibit masculine energy. They're better at making choices. They're better at tolerating, um, a no women stereotypically are the people pleasers and the caretakers. And so they want to make everyone around them happy to nurture them, to handle things for them. And that's, that's, I would say partially hardwired and partially culturally reinforced. And so we're breaking some social norms to say no to something, um, as a woman. Right. And that, that just is the reality of it. So I think it's baby steps. If, if it's harder for an individual, whether they're male or female, because they really care about people pleasing and keeping everyone else happy, the subjugation of their own needs, then this is going to be a little harder. And so that's where, you know, I think coaching support or mentorship can help with really understanding what's on the other side of that courageous decision. Because back to every yes carries a no, right? If I'm saying yes to everything everybody else asks of me, because I'm so afraid that they're not going to like me or I'm going to let them down, I have to acknowledge what I'm saying no to. You know, I have to acknowledge what's on the other side of that so that I can summon the courage to make a different choice and then get the benefit. The way in which you brought all this together, you started by telling us, hey, time is a finite resource. And I think for us to get that metaphor in our minds, that's the key part is to think of it as it's, it's limited. It's not like we just have mountains of this stored away. It's limited. But then on some level, you limited it even more by saying it's not a 20 hour day. It's not a 18 hour day. It's a 16 hour day. Not just as a finite resource, but it's even more condensed, which makes it more valuable, which makes it more reason for us to optimize it. So I love how this all flows together with what you've been saying all along. Yes. Yeah. And then that's where you confront, okay, if I now have to optimize it, because once you confront the reality of that, there really isn't a choice left, right? Because you'll run out of time and it will get used by things that are not advancing your life. So a lot of the people I cross paths with are sort of on that hamster wheel. Every day is like lather, rinse, repeat, right? I'm going to do the tasks of the day. I'm going to get up and do it again the next day. But life doesn't get a little bit better every day with that, right? Life stays exactly the same. So if we want to be growing toward the people we're becoming, then our time has to get used in activities that do that, right? So take working out as a great example. If you get up and you work out as a part of your day, you're getting a little stronger. You're getting a little more fit every single day, right? If you... um wake up and you're investing in your education, you're studying, you're learning something, you're, you're growing your knowledge base every single day, but that can reach a point in life where it slows down. And we're just, 
washing dishes and driving to this place and watching this TV show. And like, that is not really growing us as humans. And, and I, I think we're just so made to grow that when we're not like we're dying, you know, and that's where that fulfillment piece comes in. It's when we say we don't feel fulfilled, it's like we're withering. And that's the opposite of what I think we're just wired and crafted to do is we, we know that we feel best when we can see ourselves progressing, um, day by day. John Maxwell has a great quote where he talks about the people who have died, but they don't know it yet. And it's that idea of you've just, you've stopped growing. And I think you're right yes. that, that, that is so easy to do in a society that says, do this, do this, do this. But what you're saying is we make choices. And with that choices, we think of time as finite. And when we think of that, it helps us understand that fulfillment piece and that growth piece. And I think this is this is fantastic. And, and one of the things that, that I ask our podcast guests, because our audience is varied from the students to the parents and everybody in between, is you know, speaking from your perspective, you are a professional who manages a household and a business. If you could go back to your mm -hmm. 16 or 18 year old self and give yourself a, a piece of advice and say, Hey, like do this. You'll avoid, you'll avoid some of the missteps or, or whatever. What would that piece of advice be that you would tell to your younger self? 100% I would tell myself to slow down, um, slow down and enjoy the ride. I was in such a hurry at that age, like 16 to 18, you know, ish, right in that pocket, I, everything had to be done faster to the point where like I went to college and figured out how to graduate in three years because I couldn't wait to like get out there and get started. And while, yeah, you know, you could be like, oh, well, that's amazing. She graduated in three years. I missed a because I was taking really heavy course loads. I was um, like so focused on the end goal that I really was missing the ride. Mm. And so this rhythm that is so important to me now is that I, I would want to go back and say the whole experience is going to be more beautiful, more enjoyable, more connected if you're in it. You know, I was sort of skimming above it, just trying to check all the boxes and get everything done. And that can really become joyless. So sinking into the experience and sort of soaking the marrow out of them, that's why this work I do today is so important to me because I definitely didn't get that memo. And by the way, it wasn't for lack of people trying to tell me. Like, you know, I have great parents who tried to tell me that. I just was really like a wind-up toy that wanted to go really, really fast. Um, and that's my nature. So I have to bridle that with intention to really again, appreciate the experiences of life that are sort of unfolding instead of rushing through them. Cheryl Ann, this has been informative, inspirational, and just altogether fantastic. So I'm going to thank you for your time. And, uh, and before we let you go, where can people go to find out more about you and, and what you do? Sure. The easiest place is our website. It's brilliant-balance.com. And that's kind of the jumping off point for everything, the podcast, our resources, you name it. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for joining us and uh, really appreciate the content. Thanks for having me. That was Cheryl Ann Skolnicki from brilliantbalance.com. And I love what she said about don't focus so much on the end goal that you miss the ride.
Hey, thanks for listening to the CHCA Entrepreneurial Podcast. You can learn more about our program at chca-oh.org.